Good morning, New York City Church of Christ. Uh, my name is Kevin Miller, and I am the lead evangelist for the Boston Church. I was recently named the lead evangelist for the Boston Church, and along with my wife, uh, Melissa Miller. And it's just such a joy to come before you preaching the word to you this morning. What an honor it is to be asked to speak to the New York City Church. You know, my wife, Melissa, and I, we love... New York City. I know we're from Boston and we're Red Sox fans and you're Yankee fans and all that kind of stuff, but, but we love, we feel actually a great kindred spirit, uh, with, with the New Yorkers. You know, we're both from the Northeast states. We love, we love to come to Broadway once a year. What a, what we, we mourn that, that that's been shut down because of COVID and we, we are excited about coming back one day, uh, to, to visit. We love it. We love going to the restaurants. There is no restaurants like the restaurants. In New York City. You know, we love Sam and Cynthia Powell. You know, I'm going to throw up a picture of Sam at his wedding with my father-in-law, uh, Wyndham Shaw, who recently passed away. You know, Sam was converted by Wyndham. And Sam is a hero, mentor, slash kind of uncle to me all my spiritual life. I've known him for a long, long time. Sam is one of the boldest, most inspiring people. I love him with all my heart. I love his strength. I love his conviction. I love his fervor. You know, John and Tiffany Rodeo are region leaders in the Long Island Church. Of course, uh, I, I, we, I studied the Bible with John at Boston College. Melissa studied the Bible with Tiffany at UMass Boston. Uh, they were converted in Boston. Uh, it's amazing. They're very, very close friends. You know, they converted Rob Novak, which was John's old buddy. And, uh, and then Rob came up to the Charles River in Boston, in that dirty water of Boston, and he was baptized there. Of course, he leads your campus work and other things, I'm sure, in the New York City Church. And so, you know, John and Arlene Markowski are, for Melissa and I, partners. They're life partners. They're, you know, they, their kids are our kids' age. They're doing what we're doing. They, led the down, they lead the downtown uh, Manhattan area region, and, and I lead the downtown Boston uh, currently, I mean, just we have such partners, you know, we have such respect for the hooks and, and Maurice and, and all of those, you know, it's just we love the New York City Church. We feel a great connection there. Of course, Cedric and Gloria Jean-Louis are in the Manhattan region and they're very dear friends of ours. We go way back with them to campus. We have a lot of connections with the New York City Church. And so it's a great uh, joy to be able to preach uh, and share the word of God with you this morning. You know, in the partnership between the New York City Church of Christ and the Boston Church of Christ, it's real, it's got history, and it needs to be strong. We need to be united. This is an important thing. You know, we're two of the bigger churches in our movement, and we're four hours away from each other, and we, we're similar. You know, I mean, you go, oh, we are New Yorker in Boston, but, you know, as I've traveled the world and even the United States and mingled with church people, you know, New York and Boston, we're kind of similar. You know, when you walk down the street in the South, you know, southeastern United States or California or anywhere there, and, and you make eye contact with somebody. You know, in the South, they look at you and they smile and they say, hello, how are you? And, and they kind of give you a friendly thing. If you're walking down the street in Boston or in New York City and you make eye contact with somebody, and if you don't avert your eyes, you're going to get a, what are you looking at kind of a thing. You know, and, and in a warped and crazy way, you know, we feel close because of that. You know, we, we, we understand that. You know, we sort of even feel slightly at home when that happens. I, that's me anyway. I'm a little crazy. But anyway, we love New York City as, as the Boston Church, and I'm really overjoyed to preach to you. You know, the title I've been given this morning is Courage for the Unknown Road. I was asked 
to, to preach on this idea. Courage for the unknown road. And of course, this, this fits my life right now because I've just embarked on this journey as lead evangelist that is exciting and thrilling and I feel called to it, but it is scary and overwhelming. We're going to take a look at Joshua chapter 1 in verse 1. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, to the great river, the Euphrates, and all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You know, it's an amazing passage, right? It's a major moment in Joshua's life. It's also a major moment in the history of the Israelite people. Moses had died, right? For the Israelites, there was no comparative leader next to Moses. I mean, he even still is the giver of the law, and, and he's thought of in a, an incredibly revered way among the Jewish people, right? And Joshua was taken over for him, right? This is, this is crazy. You know, Moses said, what would the people do? Of course, we know how the story goes. The book of Joshua is one of the most victorious stories in the Bible. People are fervent. People figure it out, except for a couple moments in AI and a couple other spots, right? They have victorious faith in the book of Joshua. We can read that and we know their road, that it turned out well. But it wasn't known to Joshua at the time here in this passage. Just like our roads are not Known. This is this is the challenge for each and every one of us, right? We don't know the road ahead, and yet, like Joshua, the way we approach it will have major implications about whether our lives spiritually and whether the life of our church and the people of God will go well. Will it go well? If it is going to go well, then we've got to approach it in a holy way. Will we? You know, will we approach it in a courageous way? We are called to be strong and courageous. Or will we approach it in a worldly way or a mediocre way? The choice that laid before Joshua at that hour of his life is the same choice that lays before us every day. Will we be strong and courageous? Will we hold to the Word of God? We have to choose. Courage for the unknown road. What a great title. Courage for the unknown road. What a great title. It got me thinking. The unknown road. I mean, what is known? You know, you and I think sometimes we know the road that lays before us. We sometimes think, I mean, if 2020 taught us anything, is you don't know as much as you thought you knew. Right? 
things can change just like that. And the comfortable life that we might have right at this moment could shift in a moment. Right? We're, we're not really. We don't really know. I remember standing on the beach. You know, uh, this is, uh, I'm going to put up a picture of my, of my father-in-law, Wyndham, who has since passed away. Right? And on, on the beach, I remember in Panama, in 2018, you know, I had this great sense, right, that, that my mentor, he was my greatest mentor in my life, someone that I relied upon in a deep, deep way. And I had this great sense that he's going to be passing away from, from, from this earth. He's going to be leaving this mortal coil to go on to another place. And I had this great sense that the, the, the ways that I had relied on him, I was not going to be able to do. I needed to trust in God in a new in courageous way. You know, the people I was comfortable and familiar with relying on were being taken away. And I remember praying on the beach in, in 2018 that, God, I need greater faith. I need to rely on you in a greater way. You know, the path for Wyndham seemed clear five years ago. Seemed known. It's going to be an elder in the Boston church and live out his days in a great, great way. That changed. We don't know as much as we think we know. And it's why courage has got to be, you know, courage is one of my favorite qualities. Courage is just one of my favorite qualities. I'm not always great at it, but I love the idea. I love the idea of taking a stand, of of risking self for the greater good, of taking a risk even though you're scared. Courage. It's a great quality. You know, it's what all the great stories are about. I, I love the story of, you know, Muhammad Ali fighting Sonny Liston. And, and, and he sort of was brash and braggadocious in order to convince himself that he could beat the guy because he was so scared. It's a great story. You know, I love the story of 2004 and the Boston Red Sox being down, you know, 303 to the, to the New York Yankees and coming back. You know, it took courage. Even in Boston, people were killing those guys, the Red Sox, at that hour. You know, David slaying Goliath took courage, right? Esther going before the king at the risk of her own life. It's a story of courage. Jesus going to the cross for our souls. Sharing your faith for the first time. Sharing your faith anytime. It takes courage. Daring to do something new. Something challenging. Something daring for God. Not just yourself. Forgiving that person. Forgiving your spouse. Trusting and believing again. That takes courage. Getting open for the first time. Getting open for the thousandth time. Honestly confronting that person that you care about with something, with the thing that's going on in their lives. There are very few things in Christianity that don't require courage. And I want to talk to you about two ways that we've got to embrace courage in order to fulfill God's destiny for our lives on that unknown road if we want it to match Joshua's story. Point number one is be courageously persistent. Be courageously persistent. You know, we're going to look at a passage in Romans chapter 2 and verse 6 to 8. But in the book of Romans, one of my favorite books, I've memorized the book of Romans. And most of it's still up there. I did it as about at my third year of my faith, and it took me probably to about my, my, my sixth or seventh year of, of being a Christian. But I got it in there. Most of it's still there. But it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful book. You know, Romans chapter 1, the early part is Paul's introduction. But after Paul's introduction, he gets into Romans. The rest of Romans 1 is just about the brokenness and the lostness of the world. This, this world that has no answers for what they're hungry for. And they fill themselves up with all the wrong things. And, it, and, and, and decadence gives into more decadence. And it's just a lost world. 
Then you get to chapter 2 of Romans, and it's the same. It's different, but it's the same. It's about the religious world, but it's just as lost, and they're lost with hypocrisy and legalism and pride and blaming one another and, and entitlement and all of these things that can be so easy as religious people to become. And God doesn't want us to be either of those things. He wants us to be courageously persistent. In this dark chapter of of Romans chapter 2, there's this shining light verse that I love so much. Romans 2 verse 6. It says, God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There is this idea of being persistent. In doing good. That's what he says. He says, and then he talks about what the good we ought to do is. And that's going to be my second point. But he just talks about here that if you're going to be what God wants you to be, you have to be persistent in doing good. And that takes courage. Right? God is saying here that it's not going to be uh, a a snapshot for you and me. God takes a snapshot of you in your best moment. And that's who you are for the rest of your life. No, that's not how it works. And God doesn't take a snapshot of you at your worst moment and say, that's who you are. No, what we are is the chain of all of the decisions that we make day by day to become the people that God wants us to be. Persistent in doing good. You know, you can't decide today what you're going to be a year from now. You can only decide today who you're going to be today. You can't even decide today what you're going to be tomorrow. You can only, Jesus says, you have to carry your cross. You've got to do it daily. That's how you have to do it. That's what we have to do. And, and, and that's what persistence in doing it is all. Doing it today and then doing it tomorrow when tomorrow is today. And putting those decisions together. You know, it's been 25 years of doing that for me. 25 years. Have there been any challenges along the way? Has it just been smooth sailing, nothing to worry about? Of course not. Christianity This is hard. Christianity is the hardest life. It's just the best life. It's the most challenging life, but it's the most inspiring life. As long as you don't get sucked into doing it like they do it in Romans chapter 2. You've got to do it verse 6 through 8 in Romans chapter 2. You know, how many times have I had to get up after falling? How many times have I had to get up after lusting or getting angry or not handling my emotions or being a coward? How many times? Have I had to do that? How many times have I, had to, have I fought with my wife or lost my temper or been frustrated by her sin or in my own sin or her stubbornness or mine and needed to pull others in? I mean, if the Millers are anything, we're open and we're persistent. You've got to be persistent in doing good. There's so much challenge, so much emotion, so much sin. You know, I preached a couple years ago in the New York church in Manhattan and a brother came up to me who I've known for a long, long time. I didn't know he was there. And this was a brother that I actually had brought before the church when I was a campus minister and, and all these kind of things. And, you know, I hadn't seen him in years and years and years. And like it is, I, I, was he still here? Was he not here? I mean, he had left soon after that, not, not left the church, but he had left my, my ministry. And he comes walking up to me in the fellowship. And, you know, I was a little scared. I was like, uh-oh. I was fired up to see him. But I, you, know, you don't know how people are going to feel about you when you've had to be involved in their lives in challenging ways. And we all need people in our lives like that. And I remember he came up to me, and he had a huge smile, and he hugged me, and he was so fired up. He introduced me to his wife, and he introduced me you know, and to his kid. You know, it was just so awesome. And I thought, now here's a man who's still 
at it. Here is a man who is still persistent in doing good. And he was doing phenomenal in the church then. I was just overjoyed. But, but he's such an inspiring story to me because that's who we need to be. It's not just about your best moment or your worst moment. You've got to keep at this thing. You've got to be persistent in doing good. The second thing and the last thing I want to talk about is you've got to seek the right things. You've got to seek the right things. Again, in verse 7, in Romans chapter 2, it says, For those, To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. I remember there was a brother when I was a young Christian. He was, the bro- he was just a great brother in the church that I was converted in, and I won't say where that is. But after a year or two, I, he got off track. And I was just a 20-year-old in college. He was like 30, 35 years old. And I remember going up to him at one point in the fellowship and being like, bro, what are your dreams? And I didn't know what I was asking. I said, what are your dreams? And he looked at me and he said, I want to be a millionaire. And I was like, a millionaire? <laughs> I just thought, that doesn't seem to jive with exactly what I'm reading in the Bible regarding dreams. I don't know. That just doesn't seem... And I, and I looked at him, and, and then he explained it. You know, I just want to give glory to God, and this, that, and the other. And I went, oh, okay. And I was a young Christian. I went, oh, okay. And then I thought, nah. I, I didn't more, I, it didn't make sense. I mean, some people are blessed, and that's a wonderful thing. But the idea that that's, that's your dream, I just thought, hmm. I'm not down on people and all this kind of thing. But what we seek matters. And in this passage, we've got to be courageous enough to seek the right things. He talks about glory, honor, and immortality. I mean, you know what glorious means? Glory, it means magnificent, wonderful, splendid, celebrated, superb. I mean, whatever that means about seeking the glory of God, it means it's not a boring life. We're supposed to live lives of great impact being and giving glory to God. The glory of God is the salvation of the earth. The world's not going to see Him if He's not glorified. And He gets glorified through, through the glory that we bring Him. You've got to seek glory. It's not a humdrum, boring life. It's a life of impact and heroism. You know, He talks about, he talks about seeking honor. What an awesome word that is. Honor. You know, decency and integrity and high respect and great esteem. Right? Honor. You're supposed to seek honor. This is what we're called to pursue. This is what we're called to be. Men and women in the world want to follow people of honor when they see it. And there's so much dishonor in the religious world. I mean, you say you're a Christian, you say you're religious, and up here in the Northeast people go, ah, because it's, such, it's got a bad name. And it's got a bad name for good reason most of the time. Not so with us. We're supposed to be people of honor. We're supposed to be men and women of honor. You know, my 25 years in the faith, I baptized my mom and dad, and, and, and my brother helped, you know, my brother baptized me, we baptized my mom and dad. You know, my father respects me today. My wife respects me. My kids respect me. Growing up, I was a cheat, and a liar, and a brawler, and a drunk, and a womanizer, and a, you know, a drug user. I was, I was just, I had no morals at all. I was totally dishonorable. I was, I didn't, I was not a man of my word. I did none of those things. Jesus changed me. I'm going to show a picture of, of when I was young. Me and Glenn Petruzzi, he was converted in the New York City Church of Christ, but, and he's my best friend. And we were in Paris at a conference. That's why he's wearing that goofy beret right there in that picture. But, you know, that conference changed me. I remember messages that I've heard throughout my early Christian life that convicted me that I was not a man. I was living like a boy. How was I supposed to be a world changer like that? God has changed me. You've got to let him change you. You've got to pursue 
honor. You know, the last word in that passage is immortality. Immortality. This is something that God-pleasing people pursue. Say that five times fast. You know, this is the kind of thing that, that people who want to please God, they go after. You know, 2 Timothy 4, verse 6 through 8, Paul is writing again. He says, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. We are supposed to long for Jesus' appearing. I mean, I don't know about you, my nature is like, what? If Jesus shows up, it's going to freak me out. I mean, that's just the way it's going to be. But Paul says, no! You're supposed to long for it. We're looking forward to this. Immortality. This is something that we want. You know, there's a, I'm going to put up a picture of a movie that I love. It's called Meet Joe Black. And I can't get into all the story, but the story, the movie's about the angel of death comes in the form of Brad Pitt to want to visit Earth for a little while. And he wants this one man, Bill, to chaperone him because Bill's lived an honorable life. And Bill's not fired up about it, but the alternative is Bill gets to die right today. And so he says, okay, I'll do it. And the movie goes on, and they're both sort of men of honor, people of honor. And, and you know, it, and the angel of death kind of, you know, enjoys life. And, and they go, and the end of the movie comes, and they're both, and I won't give all the movie away, but they're both about to go into eternity. And it's hard for the angel to want to go because he's enjoyed it. And Bill turns to the angel and says, it's hard to let go, isn't it? And the angel says, yeah. And Bill says, what can I tell you? That's life. And then they turn, and and Bill starts walking first. And they're walking away toward death, toward eternity. And and right before Bill, Bill turns to the angel, Bill turns to Joe, Joe Black, and says, should I be afraid? And the angel looks right at him and smiles and says, not a man like you, Bill. It chokes me up even right now, just thinking about that. You know, it does. I just, that's, now the movie's not, Steve Kennard, I know the movie's not biblically correct. It's not doctrinally right and all that kind of stuff. But it's just what I, it inspires me. You know, it's what I want to hear, right? I want to hear, should I be afraid? Not a man like you, Kevin. Now a man like me is someone who's lost and needed Jesus to save me and all those things. But now I'm living by faith with him. And I want them to say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's, that's what I want to hear as I'm walking into eternity. What about you? You know, there's a lot of people that face death with fear and unresolved and all those things. Man, I watched my father-in-law, Wyndham. You know, he's been sick. He was sick for about five years leading up. In the last three, he got his legs taken away, his speech taken away, his ability to eat taken away, his ability to use anything, arms, everything. He was joyful. It blew my mind. His best moments were his last moments, but his body was broken and, and it was completely gone. And he was joyful because... You go, how can you be joyful? Your, your life is over. The best days of your life are behind. But I don't think that that's what he believed. He believed the best days of his life were ahead. He was seeking immortality. How about it are you? We have to. A lot of people face death, and they're scared, and they've got unresolved. That's not how Wyndham faced it. He had fear. I mean, going into the great unknown, but he had hope. He had worked for this And he longed for it, right? This is what we have to do. We have to seek the right things. You know, being the lead evangelist of the Boston church, this is beyond my wildest dreams. This is beyond my wildest dreams. I did not dream that much 
in my early days that this would ever be. This is the greatest honor ever bestowed on a wretch like me. And my wife is so grateful too. And I want to see God's glory spread. I do. I want to see the Boston Church. We've been hovering at like 2,200 for so long. I want to see us get to 3,000. Let's, we're going to get to 3,000. We're going to see a, a youth revival. We have to see the campus explode again like it did a long, long time ago. We want to see young souls and young people just flocking to go into the ministry. This is what we want to see. This is what I want to be a part of. I want us to be a part of God's glory like that. And it's frightening. What if it doesn't happen? What if I fail? What if it doesn't work out? What if I'm not good enough? What if? What if? What if? What if it does happen, though? What if God blesses? Right? What if God allows it to take place? It's going to be God either way. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13, it says, Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. It's a great verse about courage and how we have to approach the unknown road. And the unknown road is all of the roads that lay before us. We've got to do this. And this is what Jesus did for us. You know, it's amazing that Jesus came down here to die for us. He was born a baby, totally powerless at the whims of Satan and everything else. But he had to have courage to do all that. And because he did and faced the cross with courage, he was resurrected. You know, there can't be, there can't be resurrections without crosses. And there can't be crosses without courage for the unknown road. Let's say a prayer right now. It's been a joy being with you. I pray that this has helped you. I pray that you were inspired by this. I hope you were. I look forward to seeing you again. But let's pray for communion now and pray that we can have courage like Jesus did for the unknown road. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for you. We are inspired by you. We are challenged by the life that you lived. And yet we are... We are excited to try to follow it the best we can with your strength and your spirit inside of us. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his body that was broken, his blood that was spilled, his resurrection and the hope that it provides. And I pray that with that hope, Father, we can have courage as we pursue you with all of our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that I pray these things. Amen.